0: You're listening to... Whoa! Hot luck. Hot luck. Ah.
1: Danger. Yeah. Two I'm a yeah. and not hey enough. guys, welcome back to First of All, a real, unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and all things modern culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang, and thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. What year is it? What day are we at? I think we're in, we're definitely in the fifties here in the United States, in Los Angeles. There have been waves of quarantine numbers because people have been implementing this at later times. But yeah, right now we're in the mid fifties. I think, um, I think I'm past the point of saying, Oh my gosh, it's a crazy time. That's already like a given. And now we're adapting and adjusting. We are resilient. We're going to thrive. We're going to adjust. Um, so yeah, that's what's happening. And I hope that everybody is still washing your hands. I hope everyone is social distancing still. If you are outside of the United States, bless your heart. And if you're here in this massive dumpster fire, um, there's varying levels of <laughs> strategy and good execution happening right now. It's a little bit insane. That part is insane. Our The United States is insane. I'll just say that. It is a crazy time. But some people are handling it better than others. You know what I'm saying? we're not so much. Um, But if you are in the United States, there is a lot of, in my opinion, premature and preemptive uh, reopening that's happening. And I, I too want to get back into the regular world and interact with human beings and have things be open again and have people not be living in complete despair and economic strife. I too want that. However, the reason why I think that it's completely premature and foolhardy and ill-advised is because We're not abiding by science. We have no strategy in place. We don't have testing. We don't have tracking. We don't have a lot of things that have already been proven to bring numbers drastically down in other first world countries. Uh, We're not even attempting to do this in any sort of organized fashion, at least from upper leadership. So that is very concerning. Shout out to all the local leaders uh, who are holding it down and doing their very, very freaking best to do this in a safe manner to look out for uh, our fellow citizens. And shame on you to the federal government. Honestly, shame on you to the people who are not handling their roles and responsibilities and the lives of the people that are in their hands properly. And that is an interesting segue into this episode because a fiery little intro, because this is what I genuinely feel. I'm getting really fed up and pissed off because our numbers are going back up. We are doing a lot of people have been doing the very best that we all can and props to all of you and to all of us like give ourselves some credit we've been enduring some some unpleasantness which is yeah being socially isolated when we are social creatures and I could freaking use a hug you know uh (laughs) It's, it's not been easy, but we've been doing the thing because we believe that that sacrifice is a small price to pay for the betterment of the whole and for the betterment of society, for us to be safe and healthy, for us to get back on our feet in, in a way that's going to be long lasting and not be some like short term turnaround because we're not delusional. We listen to science. Um, but conversely, there are people who feel that they're entitled to certain lifestyles or luxuries and feel like that's too high of a price to pay, um, or who simply are willfully ignorant to what science and good reason are putting out there for our benefit. And to those people, I also say shame on you. I wish that you could listen to reason. I wish that you could see a bigger picture. I wish, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I I, I can't, it baffles me because for the life of me, I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you, uh literally it's this is different because it's it is a virus and because you choosing to expose yourself to harm is exposing everybody else to harm that's the area that i have a problem with if this was like you just need to do your your thing and you're not going to you know have a liability of other people as a byproduct suffering because of your decision those are different things now you're jeopardizing my health. Now you're jeopardizing the lives and the health of my friends and family and other good people. Um, and I have a problem with that. I have a big problem with that. So that's the discussion we're at in the United States. I don't know where you're at, where you're listening to this, but I do hope that um, that we can all be part of a solution. I don't know what that is. Personally, I'm just trying to host conversations and be real about what I care about so that hopefully it drives some sort of thought and a conversation that will lead us to that solution. Staying silent about it, probably not the best idea. Speaking out ridiculously and in some crazy manner, that's probably not helpful either. So your girl is doing all she can to keep her energy balanced and like her mind open. It's hard because... Yeah, maybe it still is the right time to say. It's a crazy time. We're back at that. But anyways, uh, I'm really excited for this this conversation with Andrew Chow, who is the founder of Boba Guys. He is um he is an advocate for small business owners. He is just a really wonderful friend and he's somebody that I have followed for a while in terms of getting inspiration and getting education in terms of leadership and that's something that I am very interested in. I don't my assumption is, especially based on numbers and, and general conversations, I don't think leadership is the sexiest conversation topic, but I care a lot about it. And I wanted to host this conversation on first of all, because I think Andrew has been very insightful. He's been participating in some really important conversations, uh, on a congressional level. He has spoken in front of Congress to speak on behalf of small business owners. He has a very specific, um, you know, a very impressive resume, but it's not just about the resume, it's the experiences that he has had and that he has taken such important life experiences and lessons out of and then shared with the world in hopes to better it, in hopes for us to progress as individuals and as leaders of our own companies, our organizations, our families, etc. And for that, I just, I thought he'd be a really great guest. He was in the last episode, so I hope you'll go check that out because you get to know a lot about Andrew, about his background and um, his story with Guys. But here, you know, we really want to contextualize it to how we view and how we are interpreting leadership now at this particular moment in time and how that also impacts moving forward. Um, Because that's what we need to be thinking about, not just reiterating the past and not just wallowing all the mistakes that we made and, you know patting ourselves on the back for all the triumphs. Yeah, take a moment for that. But really think ahead of how we're going to implement and make things better moving forward. So uh, I'm really excited to have Andrew on. Thank you, Andrew, for being such a great guest. If you are a supporter of of Patreon, of First of All Podcasts, feel free to join the Patreon crew um, and join our weekly google hangouts etc it's a really great time and thank you so much to my patreon patrons for helping keep this microphone on um i from the bottom of my heart i appreciate it so so much and yeah uh i i pretty sure i forgot to plug this so just hit me up if you would like to reach out about the podcast go to first of all pod at gmail.com you can follow me at minjeezy and uh yeah this is the episode with andrew chow talking about leadership i hope you enjoy I'm tired of retreating no, no, no. All that want, want, to me so nauseous Boy you played yourself with your nonsense I,
0: I don't know what to say <laughs> Hi Andrew Hi how's it going?
1: I'm living my best coronavirus life How are you
0: doing? <laughs> We're all hanging in there It's mm. It's been a wild time since we last talked Well we talked before then but since we last did the podcast and saw each other in person, so much has happened.
1: Yes, definitely. Real quick, I wanted to let you know that I get, I still get um, comments and feedback from people who listen to our other episode. They really liked a lot of the things that you shared. Our conversation—it's one of my more uh, acknowledged episodes. Like people message you, me, like that one with Andrew was so good.
0: Aww. Thanks. Well, (laughs) I get the same. I not to say that, you know, there's like certain podcasts that are better or worse, but you're the one we went through, we went really deep. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And so most of the time, you when you listen to podcasts, especially and we have a lot of our friends with Asian American podcasts, which are all amazing. But to go at the one we went to almost went existential. So it was, that's where I got people were like, wow, you and Minji really went deep on that one. And I said, yeah, uh, I don't know how many people who came in, but it, they had to pass all the filters. And if you made it through, then you're really qual- self-qualified to, to, to engage.
1: <laughs> I love it. I think that's a, it was, a, it was a good, uh, like what's the word? Like it was just therapeutic to just. I like being able to go deep with people. Clearly that's like my, my thing. And I don't want to ever go where someone else doesn't want to go, but I really appreciate it that you're, you're just an open person, at least between us that we can just go there and get existential. Cause I was like, why not? You know?
0: Yeah. No, well, I think it's also cause you, we have a relationship. I think a lot of times it's whoever's like the host or uh, talking. I mean, are we, are we even being, we're being recorded. Are we going on air or are we just chatting?
1: We're recording.
0: <laughs> oh, see, this is I didn't even know this whole time. We went in cold. That's the, <laughs> you guys are really just hearing Minji and I have a real conversation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is us really unfiltered.
0: Um. Oh, this is awesome. Um. So yeah, basically, um, it, only certain people. Then, I, th- then I was just saying what the real truth was because was <laughs> only certain people just really bring out natural like. Like at ease, off-the-cuff, candid conversations, especially in crisis, you you don't really want any shallow conversations because every almost minute matters now where, you know, everyone's going through real stuff where Mm -hmm. I think priorities just changed in a a matter of a month and a half.
1: 100%. And I'm really – Sorry, I, I want to apologize. I should have like told you when we were recording, I thought that was a, a signal of like, okay, we're recording, but that was just, a, that was like a technical part, but I should have clarified. So I apologize. Uh, didn't want to throw you under the bus or make you like, uh, what do you call it? Like unknowingly vulnerable. That's my bad. I'll, oh, I'll do I don't, better.
0: There is no such thing. I don't have a switch.
1: <laughs> <It's basically. laughs> I know. That's what I was like – I don't think Andrew would be any different if I told no, him I w- I, we're I, on People know, on.
0: know us. Actually, you you too. Neither you and I have a switch for that. We have yeah. switches for other things where we're like, ah, this is not worth it or whatever. But the the switch that you and I both don't have is like we're real all the time, which is why it's so natural.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and your podcast I, is that way. I, I've, I mean I don't think I'm the only one, but – I mean, people you have on, especially the ones that res- we resonate with your v- listeners, all have a similar vibe.
1: I appreciate that. I mean, that was – it's funny because you and I talk about a lot of different themes of just being a person but being you know a leader. And that's a lot of what I, I really get out of your content, the voice that you put out there, the things that you care about, mm-hmm. um, which is why I wanted to talk to you in this moment. Mm-hmm. But also just – recognizing our own tendencies. Like I, I don't have time to fake things anymore because I do recognize I used to, I used to put on a different yeah. mode and, uh, there may be some level of consistency, but I would put on like the executive director hat and this is my, this, hat. and it gets like, that code switching gets really, really exhausting though. It is you, it has useful, you know, it's, it has utility. You can't talk to the, you can't talk to president Obama necessarily the same way I get to talk yeah, to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but in general, it's, it's become, uh, to my awareness through stuff that you talk about and and other friends and people that we respectively admire that, you know, your values or your integrity, your character shines through everything that you do. And so those intentions matter. And so the intention to be real, uh, it was always there but the execution <clears throat> i'll say that it's evolved over the years
0: yeah 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 no yeah. i agree 100% oh so, uh,
1: can you okay so right now we're in we're in may i don't mm. know how we got here
0: seriously <laughs> um
1: and so i know that you've definitely had quite a ride um in this since all of this began you know you Mm -hmm. you filled me in on so i saw you in new york literally right before oh my
0: gosh you that's so true oh then we have a you have a special place in our in my memory then oh that's so true i remember this Mm -hmm.
1: that was march 10th or march Mm -hmm. 11th and then i came back to la the 13th or 14th maybe but that was it since then i've been you know quarantined i haven't seen other human beings except you know people i see at the supermarket yep, yeah. um you're one of my last friends that i ever saw before <laughs> shutdown and it's been crazy since then so i'm just curious like what has can you catch me and everybody up on what's been happening
0: oh my gosh so i mean this is not even meant to be an exclusive i can run through i'm almost having like vivid memories of our conversation you know let me paint the picture um I actually blocked it out of my mind because that during that time, it wasn't because of Minji, but it was because <laughs> of what was the crisis that was going on. I saw you on my, I had already testified in Congress, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. So what happened was most people know by now I was the one who, one of the people who raised the first alarms in the country. Um, on March 10th, I went to Congress to testify and say, two things are going to happen. One is you need to bail out a lot of businesses, including small businesses like mine, because we're, gonna, we're about to die. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we saw the bailouts come. So thankfully in the time since then, my plea worked and you know I was helping push a lot of that through. The second thing that we were also bringing up, which I got a lot of flack for, people in the public didn't know. On March 10th, I was basically saying, don't be racist in Congress. If you know your politics, you generally don't say that kind of stuff in a congressional setting because it's political.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, I mean, they're going to say, what are you going to do? We already have hate crime laws. So it was – people don't realize that was not a space for me to say it. But I added a whole paragraph. And one thing I never told you even during that time was on my trip down to to, – the train down to D.C., from Penn Station, New York, to Union Station, DC. I told this to one other person, um, but I actually felt othered. I mm. Nobody wanted to sit next to me, and I'm in a suit because I'm about to testify, so I'm in my suit, the suit that you see on camera that I was in, and I nobody wanted to sit next to me on a train. At the time, the quarantines weren't happening yet, so the trains were relatively full. Nobody sat next to me. I had my mask on. I was the only person on the train that had a mask on. And I felt stigmatized. Now, I don't think it was racist. I just think it was just like, oh, he might have it, that kind of stuff. But I had already started feeling what it could be like. And I started, I, while I was going down there, I added to my testimony. So that was why, if you read my testimony, I had a whole paragraph of basically, we, there is no face. There is no, you know, the virus has no face. It has no, you know, country has it, it because yeah. I already thought that was going to happen. So it was so weird. 24 hours later, I see you, you and I go to one of my favorite shops is like a um, coffee shop. That's also a floral shop in midtown. Yeah. And we walked around town. We walked from like 55th all the way down to downtown. I think, was that right? Yeah. I
1: walked on my way. The reason why I was there to go see a Cambodian rock band. So we got to Oh yeah. traverse New York city together.
0: So the, that memory, I think you and I were actually were the because you and I are both in the Asian American scene pretty, um, pretty heavily. I think you and I couldn't have imagined it getting the racism even getting worse. I mean, we're not surprised, but I couldn't imagine whether it was the slashing and the 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 you know more and more incidents that are now getting reported every day. But back mm-hmm. then I kind of was like, Oh, maybe we we saved it in time or maybe we, we did our job. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I remember that talk. So yeah, that was a very fond memory because yeah, you were the last my side too, my last you're one of my close for you and a handful were the only last people I saw before I went into quarantine myself. So when
1: did you and you got back to the cause you were in New York? I think a couple more days. I was just there for a hot second. I literally left that evening. I watched the show and got (laughs) on a plane back to Texas, which was Uh, another um, hot spot at the time. And I was like, what am I doing? I mean, it was all kind of dicey and questionable at the time. But how, how much longer were you in New York before you went to go into lockdown?
0: So I had a tip from, you know, I'm tied to California politics quite a bit. I had a tip that they were entertaining what you call full quarantines. New York hadn't had a quarantine yet, but we knew generally because California is so progressive that we were probably going to be the first on lockdown. So I had a choice. I, we do have an apart, a, a corporate apartment in New York for Boba Guys, my company. And so I, was, I could stay there indefinitely because I pay rent. Or I could go home. And mm. my wife wanted to go home. And my wife has a crazy story where sadly one of her family friends were on the cruise that got stranded in Brazil. Oh wow! My father-in-law and mother-in-law were supposed to be on that exact cruise, and my wife, uh, that same week we were in New York, was begging to not get on the cruise ship. And we think we saved their lives because sadly, one of my father-in-law and mother-in-law's friends did pass away because of coronavirus. Oh. Um, it was all over the news um, because um, the child of the parents who who, who got sick, uh, uh, she was our age, and she was pleading with news reporters to get their her parents. My friend Julie off the, the cruise. It was a really sad story. So while that was happening, we were kind of going through the same thing. So I knew I had to go come back home. I was like, I can't get stuck in New York for a, a month. I can't, you know, and I have my family out here and then I have a company. So for me, I got on the, essentially the last flight out of New York back to uh, San Francisco, where I've been wow. indefinitely.
1: It's, it, it was, that was a very, peculiar time and i'm very 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 glad that you chose san francisco over new york i mean we there's there's so many ways that you can obviously gather data to make these decisions right like where what would be the ideal situation to stave off this thing be there for my family take care of myself but i mean it's been absolutely crazy to see how things have been unfolding in new york and you know i've a Good amount of friends there. I have a lot of friends out there, and I've been super worried, just like watching the numbers climb. And just yeah. it's it's the numbers climbing, but it's also what that's doing to people's mentality, their mm-hmm. their mental health, and their um, their sense of safety and security and Mm. you know and and the businesses all of it you know it's it's a major situation that's been happening and it's it's crazy that you and i were in that space because i was even noticing as we walked around you know there's still a lot of people out but it's new york city and i was like there's not that many people out it was not Mm -hmm. as crowded as usual so we already were getting the like you experiencing that on the train which is very sad to hear that and just noticing there we are already in the motions of things really shifting like and, and no official word had been released in terms of government officials or, bi- you know, the bigger leaders saying, hey, you cannot go outside or we're quarantined. We were experiencing that pre that moment, but mm-hmm. already seeing it go into play. Right. So it's just it is really crazy to reflect back on how it felt to walk through Midtown and just be like, this is kind of like half the people that would be normally out. On a regular day in New York.
0: Yeah, you and I were basically saying that. Yeah, well, who knew that they were actually all in Central Park? But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> were they? That's what, apparently, they, a lot of them were in Central Park. Where go, you know the mayor and the governor Cuomo got mad. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the following weekend, where after you went to South, back to South by Southwest, which was canceled back in Austin, and I went back to SF. Um, that following weekend, yeah, everybody was at Central Park. And then mm. um, Governor Cuomo was really mad, I remember. Uh, so, yeah, what a, what a time. Oh, my gosh. I compl- Until right now, I really have not thought about the last moments in New York because I haven't really had to revisit it. Right.
1: But, well, honestly, we're in, like, the survival mode, and we're just trying to think of the next step because I feel like that's all we can really do is think about right now and hopefully mm-hmm. tomorrow of what we're going to do. And, and since then, I mean – First of all, I mean, it's, it's a long way into being saying, like, first off, I want to thank you because watching what you have done and what you said in Congress on behalf of small businesses and what you were even educating me when we were just hanging out, you know, mm-hmm. um, I- I'm consistently blown away by the great things and the responsibilities. I mean, the gravity of the responsibilities that people in my direct vicinity have. It's really kind of mind blowing to me that, you know, I love Andrew. He's the best. And I love Bobo guys. And, you know, I'll promote that (laughs) to the high heavens. And, you know, you and Kelly are are a couple goals and all of the things. But it's also Mm. like, yeah, my friend Andrew like sitting in Congress defending all small businesses, which is (laughs) millions, you know, people in in the United States. And what kind of significance that has. I just need to know. I just need to like acknowledge that on air. It's Mm. huge. And I'm curious as we're like talking about how these decisions are being made and our views on leadership, which is something that you and I are both really passionate about. Mm -hmm. How does that, how does that even feel for you? I mean, like as you're preparing these remarks and understanding that you're speaking on behalf of this, uh, again, I, can you give me a number? Like, I don't want to misinform how many small business owners are there in the United States? Like, who are you representing when you go in to talk to these, to these Uh, people?
0: Well, first, I want to, well, thanks for, I mean, it's always weird to get compliments from friends. Appreciate it. Thank you for fanning my flame. I would say, you know, what's crazy. I didn't, I had to look a little bit of it up. I I did, I do run into small business circles. So my name came up because in general, like when you're talking about small business in America, and then if you're talking about Asian American small business owners, my name almost is usually one of the top five in the country not to say that it's just because my i've done so much and you know a lot of it has to do with just how loud i am and and how vocal i am historically that i've been Which again, you never imagined that it would come to like something like this. I, in the past, I would be like, go get your SBA loans, you know, like here are five tips to do a better Instagram for you. That's kind of stuff I used to do. Who Mm -hmm. knew it would be related to a pandemic? So I I just, I'm not trying to be modest. I just don't think I I knew what I was getting myself into at first. But that being said, there are 30 million, I had to look this up, 30 million age, uh, 30 million small business owners. Wow. yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I think two million are Asian American owned, wow. and uh, it's it's a lot. It's it's the, one of the creates a, the as a group the largest workforce. And I think as we know now, not to say I was a corporate guy, so there's no shade to anybody in corporate. But I was a corporate guy, and then I was my entrepreneur, small business owner had on the, the backbone. Now we know for sure of America is small mm. business. I mean mm. when corporate America went down and stuff the country still ran when there was a recession. The country right. still roughly ran when there was 911 and those were horrible events. But it there was there is nothing like shutting down main street. It's it's there's no there's no too many people affected, bar owners, nail salons, hair hairdressers uh 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 Restaurants, of course, and and mm-hmm. uh, musicians, venues, artists who who use these venues that you play at a local venue. So, like, the ecosystem just basically blew up, yeah. and nobody expected, except for Bill Gates, apparently, because he had to be talking right. to
1: I was going to say Bill knew, and <laughs> like, he told Bill, us.
0: <laughs> you're right. so smart. Um, so that's where it's sad. It's it's like, and especially we're talking to a lot of Asian Americans and it's probably why I think they want an Asian American to come talk because at the time there was a, if there's one thing that COVID was doing before my talk in Congress on May 10th, we already knew there was slight racism, right? There was already state the support Chinatown, save Chinatown hashtags mm. that was growing in, um, Mark, uh, February. So there was already kind of some latent, um, Racism that was emerging. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, New York Chinese people or New York Asian people have nothing to do with Wuhan, but they're getting impacted. So I think things like that, we knew were going to come into play. Um, Sadly, again, never at this speed. Right. Um, And at this severity.
1: But I think that's kind of the the Asian American experience or just the, the other, but especially in a climate like the United States. I mean, I, I can't speak for any other I can speak for the UK or for Australia. Or, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it is there. Um, and I'm sure that they're from what I hear, there's still racism everywhere. And in what way that that plays out, that's different. That's based on like their specific culture, but in America, I mean, we've become increasingly aware over the last, especially, especially the last four years, how much, uh, how much more racism is uh, there and empowered and ready to kind of burst on the scene at the drop of a hat? And it's just I think it's the collective experience of being an American. You and especially if you're a minority, if you're not yeah. uh, part of the mainstream in some format that you're going to be extra sensitive and, and cautious because it is an educated guess that at some point it's going to it's going to be born upon you, right? Uh-huh. Um so I I was I personally before people started talking about it too, I started dreading. It was an instinctual like, oh god, how is this going to go? You know, like
0: uh-huh. yeah, what's exactly. going to ha- happen now? There's some dread, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's one thing I definitely and I don't want to minimize that. It's been a horrific thing. I've definitely been um, mulling over that. I actually personally had some mixed reactions to the Asian American community response. This is where I think there is such a deeper co- conversation of the way that we're addressing this racism, because there's a level of like education, but there were also Asian Americans who have been very kind of hateful or like not, not coming to defend our community, but kind of being like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Personally. And I'm being just honest about it. There's part of me that, Felt that too, as much as I, I admo- like, I think it's horrible what happened. And I, when I saw these videos and images, it made me so furious and so angry and so sad and devastated. But there's also a part of me that felt frustrated because I do know that there are a lot of Asian Americans who don't care about anything until it affects them. You know what I mean? So there's, uh, I, I had uh, a little bit of that internal uh, push-pull. Ultimately, I'm like, no, no matter what, this is dehumanizing. This is awful. Um, And this none of this should ever happen to anybody. And it is my community, so I feel very protective and defensive. And I also just didn't want to leave out the conversation that also I felt could be had in terms of, let's also, like, check how this conversation is going. Because there's a lot of people that quite frankly, stay very apathetic and they still stay out of any conversation until they themselves feel attacked. Right. And mm-hmm. there's part of me that feels a little about that, but that maybe <laughs> neither here nor there at this point right now.
0: I mean, I I would I hear what you're saying, and I, I do think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I To not even go back to kind of a, a question, and it, this is not about kind of me answering for myself, but on behalf of leaders everywhere, is that mm-hmm. I do think we just lack leadership in the Asian American mm-hmm. community, which you and I talked about, I think, on the, your, our original episode. And I highly believe that. So, I mean, your earlier question, and I kind of skirted it, deflected it, but I do think... I had always been, we had talked about it. You know, you and I went to good school, you know, I was always in ASB. Like I generally, whether or not I knew I was getting myself into like this level of leadership, I don't think I was expecting that. But I think more Asians should expect to be seen as leaders and have that be the standard instead of sitting back and reacting. I do think. Mm-hmm. I don't want to overgeneralize, but the Andrew Yang thing that was like one of my best examples to, to come up, that polarized so many people, right? Because so many yeah. people were like, well, what does Andrew mean by that's un-American? And we have to be more American by wearing flags and all that. And I yeah. I don't think he, I I went on record. I went on Next Shark, and you saw, I t- texted Andrew and I said, hey, Andrew, like that was off, man. And you know, I've been one of your biggest supporters but that was not right. And he was like, I know, you know, I came out, you know, I don't want to say what he said. He, he already addressed it. So, yeah. But on the flip side, I knew where he was coming from. He's like, guys, show, project, you know, demonstrate, you know, that we need to participate in society. Mm-hmm. And I don't think our lack of participation warrants violence or hatred and racism. Yes. 100% do not think that. But we wonder why in the beginning when we were asking for other people of color to help us, how many of them said, and I've seen Twitter, especially, you know, black Twitter straight up said to Asian Americans, a lot of us, including myself, said, well, now you know what it feels like. You know, to me, I consider myself pretty, you know, people know Boba Guys is a little bit on the woke side. So I was like, you know what, really? Boba Guys, Bridging Cultures Company, you're going to call us out? But at the same time, I was like, you know what, you're right. Because on behalf of m- more Asian-Americans, which I am one of the leaders in the Asian-American community, as are you, I do think we could do a better job in creating more allyship and bridging cultures, which happens to be my mission, which is partly why my mission exists because I think Asians don't reach out enough. I fundamentally think that is the case. If, that was, if it weren't the case, then you know a boba shop would have been like a Starbucks a long time ago. Why mm-hmm. did it take boba guys? You know, we kind of figured out a way to talk to people and make it accessible with now alienating every Asian American, although some Asian Americans still think we're whitewashed and hipster, which hopefully they, by now they know we're, we're so embedded into the Asian American community. Not to be like, so much of the Asian American community has to do with the resources that Ben, my co-founder and I, f- fundamentally gave to the community tens of mm-hmm. thousands of dollars, probably over a hundred thousand dollars that the community never saw that we we've been funneling into the API world. Right. And Bob but or oh, but hip or hipster Boba. And I think Andrew Yang, they write him off as, well, he doesn't represent us right. Cause he makes fun of doctors and the doctor jokes and everything. And I don't think people understand that it's both. All we're saying is it's both. Yeah, And we're not trying to be, I know what uncle Chan is. Or I know what Boba liberalism is like, You know, it's funny that somebody called it boba liberalism. When I'm like, well, Boba Guys, the the pioneer of boba, generally right now in America, we're definitely not bobaism as they define it. It's it's about using a platform that is accessible and being a Trojan horse of culture, and then because of the audience that we have, or the platform and us and our allies have, we're able to kind of change a narrative bit by bit and make it more inclusive. And when mm-hmm. you get that, then you'll get the allies on our side. Which it's you're not going to beat them over the head and convince them. It's just not right. how it works.
1: Well, I feel like that's like it's, there's such a broad approach and strategy to how you speak to whoever you're speaking to, right? And mm-hmm. everybody has a different audience. That there is utility. Yeah. I mean, I'm around so many artists. Right. And yes. some of them will use I love that that metaphor of like the Trojan horse. You're mm-hmm. you're getting invited into the room mm-hmm. and you will then utilize that invitation and that mm-hmm. presence to then deliver a message that is either really like obvious or maybe like subtly. You know, what I mean, like it's a whole the metaphor of like you attract bees with honey, not, you know. Uh, yeah, your honey, case, not stick a, yeah. with with boba, and and I think that, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Food food has been always such an amazing vehicle for connecting people because yeah. the appreciation of food is so pure. It's so like I don't know. I would say it's like it's a very carnal because yeah. it's to your body and to your senses and to your taste, and you're you're not gonna like it's someone who gave you such pleasure in terms of a good dish or a good meal. You're not going to yeah. condemn them to hell. You know, you're going to say thank you. And how can I support you? Um, but you know, there's like the Trojan horse, meth- horse method. And then I'm surrounded by so many artists who like, yeah, they're just going to speak out and condemn and they're going to call people out, make fun of them, do jokes, do very um, biting editorials. And, and, you know, for me, I do see utility in all of that. You do need it like because there's so many different perspectives that do need to be distilled to understand like what is what is yeah. the actual pain point here yeah. Um, that you can't always just play nice. Because sometimes if you play nice, depending yeah, on bro- who you are and how you're doing it, it's not going to yield you any results. Right. Um, so I appreciate that though. I, I, it, it's honestly for me to see somebody who's, especially in our culture where people are very risk averse and just, again, even if it's just on a subconscious level, not willing to stick their necks out because we are so much conditioned and programmed to lay low, you know, keep our nose to the grindstone, work really hard, don't make waves because, you know, mm-hmm. The, the one that stands tallest is going to get knocked down. Yeah. If that's an inherent part of our, our culture and how we were raised, not even because someone directly told us so, but that's mm-hmm. just the way that we know life. Um, That, that uh, margin of like how, how much risk is perceived versus maybe actual risk is tremendous. Like to feel like I'm going to put myself, my brand, my family, or my mental health on the line in order to speak up against powers that be and that my own community might come after me saying that like you said it wrong you did but like i don't see none of y'all speaking up exactly it's a it's a big deal so i want to applaud that because that is part of progress it's not going to be right the first time but somebody like those conversations have to start right they have to they have to mature. And in order for them to mature, they have to be had. And that's what I get frustrated within the community at times. You know, there's I can praise for days and there's so many people I love. But my general thing that I've been mulling over in this time of quarantine and in general, honestly, the last 11 years having been in this space and being a leader, um, quote unquote, like to what degree Mm -hmm. I have an impact, Mm -hmm. I, I genuinely question. I don't know what the measuring stick is, but I've really wondered sometimes with a level of frustration, and resentment. Like, why are these the only people that are willing to talk? Or why are these the only people that uh, get any shine? There's a lot of questions that I've had and observed and a lot of feelings that I've had in seeing the people who speak up, the way that, that they get treated and or listened to, and what impact that really makes. Like, all of the above. You know what I mean? Like, I really, like you, I really do care about leadership. I do think, like... It's something that is so vital and so important, but maybe doesn't get appreciated until people have complaints. I mean, what do you don't. What do yeah. you think about that?
0: No, that's, I mean, all of that. I uh, amen to that again. I think uh, you said everything I, I, I agree with. I think um, a lot of communities, not just Asian communities, a lot of oppressed communities, actually. Um, you know, there's two ways to deal with oppression. One is to kind of like go into a shell and the other one is to fight back, right? And certain communities mm-hmm. do it differently. And um it's been like that. If you're a really big fan of sociology, which you know I am, and I think you and I both are huge fans of it, is that yeah. you kind of see generally it's how it's how society and civilization has evolved. And so the problem and it gets a little heady, so I try not to be overly cerebral. Although people listening to to your con- our conversations are probably gonna expect that. <laughs> so so the <laughs> the thing that I would quickly say about the the idea that you won't know you're lacking a leader until you, it's too late, mm. and so you actually you would rather people are like you know in Asian community there are too many Indians, too little chiefs. There's no chiefs, you know. Let let's say we had a role model, we wanted to be like, hey, let's get behind that guy. How how many can we name? We we barely can name any, and then by the when we name one. Uh, like many marginalized communities, because because the, the the majority forces us to fight amongst each other. That's a tactic that they use, or a strategy that they use. Is the, we say, oh, we're gonna co-sign what Andrew Yang? We prop him up and then we tear him down. All mm. right, uh, next person. Let, who's up next? Let's 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 co-sign. You know, uh, another one. Oh no, no, that person's too loud. That person's too loud. No, no, no. He didn't say it right. Let's let's tear him down again that's not what we need to do this is any marginalized if you know anything about activism it generally doesn't work that way so without i'm going into a separate thought when you were saying something it was it was actually something that i've been thinking about let me test this idea with you mm-hmm. it's hot off the presses new idea <laughs> <laughs> this it is just in <laughs> is you know i I read a lot of social theory as most people know by now and malcolm x i've been reading a lot about Malcolm X and MLK, and i've been reading a lot more about Malcolm X in the last um basically month and you know I'm trying to get into the 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 head and the mind space of like why people are so vigilant and militant, which was a little bit more of Malcolm X you know and mm-hmm. most people know Malcolm x and MLK k didn't really talk their their camps coordinated, but they only really had one meeting ever like in that famous diner meeting. And and I was trying to understand, well, what did Malcolm X do? And many cases, I see this in Asian American communities where when I go in to negotiate, and I'm kind of more of, you would say, a, a moderate. So I go in and I want to call out white privilege or racism. But when I go in, I actually say, you see those really loud ones, the ones that scream at you and tweet at you? Those are the people that are not going to get to you and have a great conversation with you. So you're talking to me instead, and you need to talk to me. Otherwise, I'm going to step out of the way, and they're going to, they're going to run you down. Mm. They're going to run all over you because they're militant. And I will say it's actually helped me. It's helped me negotiate. It's helped me— um, uh talk to you know department of justice it's helped me talk to local police authorities I said you don't you know what the populace the, the 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 angry mob is going to do and there are a lot of them and they are they are right in their anger. They are their anger is righteous anger. However, I don't think it's gonna be great for you guys to absorb all that because they're just gonna take it out on you. That's what's gonna happen.
1: Mm-hmm. So there has to
0: be some balance and I said I hope you know, I I say on record, I'm, I consider myself a vanguard. So I'm like, I will then say what their plights are and we're going to find a solution. And I think that's what people don't understand. People don't understand that. I was, I'll give you another exclusive. I was part of the group that was trying to tell Trump to not say China virus. Mm. And he hasn't said China virus since now. Did he make a mistake? Yes. Did he know? I'm not going to argue. I didn't, was it wrong? Yes. Was it, Could we clean it up afterwards? There's a million things we should have done. But I will tell you, it starts with, he doesn't have enough people around him that tells him what to do right. I will just say that. That's on record. That's in public. I just don't think he has enough, I would say even Asian people around him to tell him you shouldn't do this or you should do that.
1: He doesn't have enough sane people. Sorry, I have my own thoughts <laughs> on that. <now.
0: laughs> he probably doesn't. I don't want to say, I just think, but it takes people to say, hey, you, you may or may not know, known, but you literally put 21 million Asian American lives in jeopardy, by the way, by saying China virus. Did you know that? I actually, I don't think he fully understand. I think he was trying to create this anti-China thing, not thinking that Asian Americans were going to get into crosshairs. Right. I don't think he thought that deeply. I really don't. And he I don't did. think his team thought that deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took a bunch of us to kind of come in and remind The cabinet of this. And I think that's what people don't understand. And I, one day I'll tell you exactly that story. Um, but people don't understand that's, I think of how the system and the mechanism works. So I don't mind the angry mob as, but let's just say they're not the ones making the change really. They're just being used as the example.
1: Right, um, right. And it's
0: the people in the shadows and behind the scenes, I think, are the real ones. I'm not saying it's not even me. There's people I can't even name because the public doesn't even know who they are. They're the real heroes here. They're the real ones, actually, you know, give, you know, this, giving movie deals and green lighting them. It's not the people mm-hmm. in the media. Yeah. It's the people behind the scenes because if they got too visible, then people will say, Oh, are you doing this because you're just doing this for Asians? So they can't get credit for it. Right. So they, they have to do it behind the scenes.
1: Or for said group or said, you know,
0: mm-hmm. LGBT women, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it, it has more to do with, uh, uh oppression theory and, and, marginalization, but a lot of anybody in those kind of marginalized groups, it's power and politics one-on-one, you know, I'm go I feel like I'm going professorial, but if you could learn first lesson you really learn is people in power will not relinquish it. <laughs> that is Absolutely. number one rule.
1: So Absolutely. who are
0: you going to call somebody a white right, supremacist racist? You think that's going to change them? Yeah. That's a, to, and that's I think that is
1: really under the microscope right now. And I, I hope that this is part of a conversation that that leads to progress in that aspect, because there is I'm personally having a lot of recognition in terms of the the amount of information or narratives or perspectives that I have ruled out or not lended my own ear to to -hmm. understand and um you know it's it is part of even looking at my own industry and seeing like who am i surrounded by who am i keeping out of my circle if somebody touts themselves as republican or you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or if they said they're a trump supporter would i automatically shut them down in my own you know even internally like okay what do you think but like i'm not really listening to them right Just recognizing the agency I have in being part of the problem or part of the solution, right? And I have all these gripes. I'm very vocal about a lot of those things Mm -hmm. about like all the things I hate and that piss me off and that I think are wrong. But on the flip side, as it is with, I think any human being is to like really think about, are you, are you doing something In and of itself, like for not even on a public platform, not even as like a leader of X organization or this title or that. Not it's just like literally in your own private conversations, in your own internal dialogue. Are you, are you living out the thing that you say or you believe is the solution, which is better dialogue, more perspective, better, you know, smarter heads at the table instead of literally. I just had this horrible point of recognition where I was like, I think I've been in certain ways been doing what Trump has been doing, which is creating echo chamber, kind yeah. of insulating, insulating my own, my own space to be simply and exclusively like-minded people. Right. As much as they do stoke my fires and educate me and inspire me. I was just seeing a lot of the uh, shortcomings of that because I was like, there's always, I heard in my leadership classes, I'm curious like how you're educated or how your Mm -hmm. leadership approach was formed, Mm -hmm. but like being taught, you know, you should not be the smartest person in the room. You Mm -hmm. should surround yourself who with people who are smarter than you, who will challenge you. Mm -hmm. And in recognition of like my own ego and the way that I was operating, I was like, I don't think that my life or the voices that I'm listening to necessarily reflect that and it was like, it, it kind of knocked me down many pegs of like, I, I don't think I'm living my values or the things that mm-hmm. I said, because I'm just sitting here just getting pissed. <laughs> I'm just sitting yeah. here judging and being like, well, this is garbage and they suck and blah, 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 blah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, I think mean, that's normal. I think even I, I, people have called me out. I'm like, Andrew, you're Mr. Bridging Cultures, but uh, that wasn't Bridging Cultures. I've been called that, you know, or I've been that a couple times um in the last few months because i have gone off on racist you know it's not mm-hmm. like i have been sitting there but uh every once in a while like well that's not going to make the racist stand back you know or like listen to you by calling him out and i'm like well well it feels good for me and i need i need some mental space to <laughs>
1: yeah you need to be you also <laughs> yeah. honestly you saying what you truly are that's how i look at it too is to speak truth to like other people who may feel the same but they don't feel empowered to give mm-hmm. permission to the fact that they feel oppressed or marginalized or like, you know, being condescended to and condemned and mistreated and and abused. Like that, that serves a purpose too, in terms of you being a leader, it's not just to make nice. You have to like, remember why, why mm-hmm. there needs to be movement. And I think you being pissed, like, go ahead, blow off steam. I use this podcast. I'm like, you know what? This is, <laughs> I'm not going to stay here, but this is what I'm feeling right now. It's part of the process. It's like, I'm just mad.
0: Well, and you know, this is I'm going to, okay. I'm going to be sh- sh- triple candid right now. I mean, I did, I did a couple podcasts in the last couple weeks and somebody asked and I didn't answer it the first time. Somebody said, why are you doing um, Asian American podcasts? You know, have you been doing other media? And I said, you know, think of, I have, I've, I've been on ABC with the outside media. What have I been saying? I'm saying, here's the new model. Here's what we're doing for small businesses. I've it's going to look like I'm an Uncle Chan. It's going to look like I'm playing, I'm being the good Asian, right? That's what I've been doing in, when I do the mainstream media. And then when I come onto an Asian American podcast, I generally have been saying, well, we need more leadership. You know, we, we need to fight and all that kind of stuff. But in between on my personal Instagram and my personal life, I fundamentally think I don't want to preach to the choir. We need to go into the lion's den. So I actually think, For better or worse, when I go on Asian American podcasts, I think to me, that is more of the lines then. Because Mm. when I talk about just even hearing myself out loud, I know people are gonna say, you know, that's why I like long form, because you can't just break this up this podcast up. I'm like, you're gonna have to listen to the whole thing. Is I fundamentally believe, you know, that we aren't helping ourselves in a lot of cases where it is you said echo chamber it is 100% completely an echo chamber i the reason why is because i talk to non asian people all the time all the small business stuff sba you know the banks landlords all my landlords are non asian um, which is a whole separate story and then mm-hmm. like they don't know about racism so all these campaigns that we're doing it's not getting to them Mm-hmm. You know, some are, I will say some, there's a couple that are effective, you know, I think uh, recently hate as a virus has really been crossing over. And I, I think um, Brian and Tammy and Michelle have been doing a great job, but some of the other ones having a hard time, watch the hate. It's been great. They've been on a lot of good morning America, that kind of stuff. So a couple of them kind of got through, but the other ones are just like Asians being angry to other Asians saying we should be angry. Like it doesn't work. Not, it's great to let off steam, but you know, if you ask like where my leadership philosophy is, like I am classically trained in leadership. Like most people will say I, I went to business school, I, I read Ray Dalio, Principles was one of my favorite books. You know, I if you most people know I have this crazy library in my office, which is like a thousand books of, and I, I read leadership books every day. And any leadership book, every management book will tell you how do you motivate? How do you, what you call mobilize, which is when you bring people together and how do you sell something, sell an idea? And in all of those, you always make it about either common ground, empathy, and WIFM. What's in it for me? Mm -hmm. So if you're a racist, I'm like, well, what's in it for me? I was like, well, if you're a racist and you want to stay racist, if you say something racist and you get punch in the face. Like some happened, there was a recently, some guy in UK got punched in the face by, he was saying racist stuff and some dude finally punched him. Like, actually, I was kind of like, okay, well, <laughs> now you know, if you're racist, you can get punched in the face. So I don't, I kind of think you need a little bit of quid pro quo and, you know, causality here. Yeah. But when consequences. You, yeah, but you need a, a handful. You can't, you can't have them go too crazy because then it's going to create this um, downhill spiral. It's, it's going right, to be a, right. a weird version of Prisoner's Dilemma. So, but if at the end of the day, like you can build bridges, you can say, Hey, I know you come from a different world. You know, the big one we're not we're talking about, but it's easy because it's it's the in the zeitgeist is white supremacy and white privilege. You know, for so much of America, they don't see it as privilege because they don't know anybody but white people. And, you know, if you're white listening, I know this, you know, I work for Walmart. And if you're a Caucasian, I understand why sometimes you shouldn't – when people say white privilege to you, it, it, it's messed up because I, I do agree. And it's like saying male privilege to me. I'm like, just because I'm a male? But at the same time, you have to say, well, here's why. I don't think you've ever had to deal with a funny, funny look. All these microaggressions that non-whites have to deal with or women have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And when you bring it to that level of connection – you start creating dialogue and then you start then planting seeds in which you can start turning people around. That's how you build allyship. Mm-hmm. If the Asian-American community gets better at that, we will have an Asian-American president. We will have, you know, Andrew Yang did so well despite Asian-Americans, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know?
0: You know, like he did really well with the whites um, uh, and Dave Chappelle. Like he, he Asian-Americans were like, eh, Oh wait, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of on this one, instead of saying, "Hey, I know a bunch of you guys." How I rarely, I had so many, I had more of my Asian American friends, including the people that we know, say, "Andrew, I know you know Andrew Yang, and why don't you tell him this?" I'm not about that. That's wrong. Why do you make that doctor joke? Da 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 da. Why do you support him? Why'd you give him money? All this kind of stuff. And in my mind, I literally was like, "Why don't you come to like a rally?" I can introduce you to him. And if you're that influential and you, as you think you are, then help shape him instead of complaining from afar, man. I I will tell you, I had at least 40 people do the complaining to me and 10 people that actually learned how Andrew works. And I think that's all I could say. I don't even want to get into that. I mean, his whole campaign team can tell you stories like that's what we're trying to figure out here. And f- one day Andrew will create a new person that was inspired by him and that will learn and maybe learn how to talk about race and reconciliation a little better than Andrew Yang. Because I don't think Andrew, that's his strong suit. Economics is a strong suit. For sure. Know? Like I will say we, we need somebody, I don't even know who. In our community, there's not many because not many people get political. So I don't even know who the next Andrew Yang will be.
1: It's hard because it's a tall order, right? And that's why I, I, when I look at leadership as a whole, and not even just in the Asian-American landscape, right, but that's like the closest to home, obviously, and the one that I occupy, just like what are the, the qualifications in order for somebody to be worth following, right? Because that's essentially what leaders are supposed to do, and that's what I was trained. My classical leadership training was straight up just high school. It started with Mr. Fuller's class. I love you, Mr. Fuller. But what he ingrained <laughs> in teachers. us— which was you know, you're there to serve the people that you lead. You're not there to to Bingo. lord over them and 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 to yep. to strong arm them and exert power. You're there to to serve them and to be a conduit for progress or for their needs to be met in some sort of, you know, organized fashion that is not damaging them that is more constructive than destructive. you know it's it's a it's a tall order, but people who can then embody that and what the qualifications are, that's yet to be determined. and I I actually feel like my, a lot of my qualms with leadership in general, I, I love this perspective that you're bringing to the table. Cause I'm learning so much by you speaking about the Asian American perspective, which I definitely think about, but a lot of my brain has actually been more on the the women's side of like female yeah. leadership because in the Asian yeah. American space, I have been one of very few female leaders yeah. and, um, just being Korean American, having been part of various organizations in leadership, uh, positions, I've experienced such a different level of treatment from my peers and the people that I'm leading that has created a lot of disillusionment and like discouragement in me and honestly, anger and resentment.
0: Can you give a I, share an example? Like not to yeah. make it, I don't want to put you, I'm going to flip it around my turn. Uh, <laughs> what do you, what do you mean by that? Cause I'm very really curious. I'm a dude. So I'm part of the problem. So tell me, I'm just, I want to learn and on behalf of other dudes, we should just listen. So
1: Thank you like, for asking. Like, yeah. One of them, um, it's very vivid. Okay. I'll give you three. One was in college at Berkeley. I was co-president of the Korean American Student Association. Oh. And I, I, uh, it was really fun, but every leadership position anybody takes, you're always in over your head and you're like, I don't quite really know how to do this, but mm-hmm. I'll figure it out. And so I was doing the best I can. Um, we had a really great fundraising event, which went well, which was great. Um, it was, because the team worked really well together, I was the co-president, um, and the people in it were complimenting me of like, "You're the man, you're the man, you're the man." Yeah, and then they they kept saying that like the the reason why the event went well was because I'm the man, and so there's subtle things like that where like they called they they kept like these Korean American dudes who I love, they're my friends, right? But they kept calling me Manji, and so oh I was like, <laughs> okay. Is that the most clever you could be, A, but B, like, you know, and I I laughed along with it because, you know, it was early 2000s and what else are you going to do? That's just like the way we operated. I think if you were in college now and you said that to a Korean American woman, I think she would react really differently. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, But at the time, I like totally laughed and I was definitely part of like, you know, adopting, trying to be one of the guys. I've always been like that. That's literally something I'm working through with my therapist at this moment of how much I've adopted masculine traits or like hyper. I feel like in a lot of ways I fed into the toxic masculinity because that was the way that you had to survive in a man's mm-hmm. world was to be mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. So I laughed it off. But then over the years, like years later, it started to like, it really did bother me and it bugged me then, but I brushed it off. Um, and later it's just, somebody would always like, they would make these kind of male references. And I was like, why is that? Why is that the compliment to give me, you know what I mean? Um, so that's one. Second one was when I was, uh, leading collaboration San Francisco. It was my first year as executive director and I landed the biggest sponsorship that collaboration had in all of the cities, including LA, which had been around for a lot longer. The biggest sponsorship that had ever been had. Um, it was a big chunk of money from a Silicon Valley company. And honestly, it wasn't me. It was my, my teammate and somebody who knew of me and of collab who helped make this sponsorship happen. I credit that person, but I. I was the leader at the time and, um, I announced it at our team meeting, you know, in our in-person meeting and someone on my own staff was like, what did you do to get that? And, uh, you know, other people on the team were like praising me, but he literally was uh, like the way he said it and just who this person is. He basically was alluding to like, did you give somebody like a blow job to get that money? Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> Yeah, cause that's yeah, yeah, yeah. what he, he, cause was that's, being, the
0: only way you could have been successful. <laughs> that's right. basically what, yeah. And so
1: I, Gosh. again, it was, it was another reminder of like my Casa yeah, days. And I was uh, just like, what the fuck, man? Like yeah. it's, I just, it was a tipping point. And so I was really close to like chewing him out in front of everybody, but I chose not to. And then I ended up calling him later that night. And I just, I started crying cause I was like, do you respect me? Like, He's like, yeah, and I was like, do you appreciate the work I do for collaboration? He's like, yeah, and he's like getting annoyed. Like, what are you even saying? Why are you calling me? And I was like, do you do you appreciate that I got us a sponsorship so we could have our show? He's like, like what are you talking about? And I was like, why the hell would you like say that kind of stuff in front of our entire staff? And it was it was probably like a half hour conversation where I'd explain why it was so disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuff like that. And then even like as recently as a couple years ago, I was stage managing a big production and I was trying to speak to other older Asian American men who were supposed to listen to my direction because I'm the stage manager. And literally, they were not listening to anything I said. I was giving them direction of like how things need to go once they get on stage. And instead of listening to me, they kept asking each other, Oh, so what are we supposed to do? Like, what do I gotta do? What do I gotta do, man? And I'm like, literally standing next to them, telling them. And, uh, once, <laughs> then the guy was like, Oh yeah, I think I'm supposed to do blah, 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 which I had already said three times at that point. And then the other, the guy that was, he was speaking to was like, Oh, okay, cool, man. It's like literally, I've been in many rooms where I feel like the frequency of my female voice doesn't register. And I've, there have been multiple moments where, Somebody who is a male counterpart will do me a solid. I've had male allies too, like guys who really are there yeah. for me, but they'll speak up. They'll reiterate what I said. And Dude, but like they Mindy like, "Mindy just said that. Yeah. Yeah. And once they say it though, it registers and they're yeah, like, oh, yeah. dope. You know, like, yeah. great. That's a, that's a great idea. And then he'll, I had a friend of mine literally be like, she said it. She said, she just said that <laughs> and you weren't listening. So it's stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's these weird moments of like, I don't matter. I'm not, (laughs) I'm of no consequence to you, even though I may hold a title, I may hold some level of authority, um, depending on the culture and depending on who you're speaking, who your audience is, it really could not matter. It could not register. And that's how I feel. There's so many, there's so much, uh, there's a, a great resistance and a great force that I think a lot of women leaders internally and on an external level have to break through, To get the same level of recognition. I think that there's so many ways you could cut and look at all this um, from a race perspective a gender perspective, a geography, whether you're from the coast, Mm -hmm. right? Or whether you're from middle America or whether you're from America or you're from Asia, right? Like there's depending on what room you're in, it's going to color the way you can be effective, right? In terms of your leadership.
0: Yeah, 100% agree. Can I ask, um, have you heard of the term intersectionality? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, this basically. Uh, I don't know if your viewers and listeners will have. I'm not of your hundred plus episodes. Have you covered intersectionality yet?
1: <laughs> I think it has been integrated, but not in and of itself like one okay. whole conversation. Yeah,
0: but that's ultimately what it is. Like, I'll never know what it's going to be like to be uh, like a, a woman. Uh, I just like a you know, we're in America, we have privilege because we're in America versus a non versus somebody from Africa. And then, you know, but we're, you and we're Asian, we're not black. um, And we're both heteronormative, but you know, or we're able to, we're, we're able-bodied. We're not, we're not handicapped, you know, like we're, um. there's a lot of these ways that you can kind of layer on intersectionality. And I think, you know, there's a whole discipline. You know, it's funny. Uh you most you probably know I wrote that I'm working on my second book. Um, we just had our first book do really well. Um, and we yes. did it without a media tour. So thank you for everybody listening and supporting us, including you, Minji. You guys super supported us along the way. Um You're very the second welcome. book was more of like, hopefully it'll come out by the time I have a lot more stores. But um it is actually about the working title is gonna be punching up. And it's mm. it's essentially the idea that when you're at the bottom punching up, you need to learn how to fight a certain way. And I think you're not going to knock on the ceiling and be like, please let me upstairs. That's just not how it works. Never has, never will. There's a reason why there's class theory. But, you know, I had punched up in a lot of big organizations. So I had to learn how. I had to learn how to, to in this case, you you said you had to talk like a man. I had to learn how to talk like a white guy. You know, mm-hmm. I had to talk about sports, which I do love, you know, I had to talk about, you know, things that frat boys like to talk about. And then I had a lot of, I worked for a lot of women. So I talked a lot about, um, I knew sex in the city. I have a normal amount of knowledge of sex in the city and rom-coms for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, I think I don't want to overly stereotype, but I think you had to figure out what can you kind of evolve into. And then when you're like, no, that's just a Is core to my DNA. I will never give that up. And I think you use your core DNA is what you use to fight and punch up. Like for me, that's where your what you call fundamental principles lie. My fundamental principles, most people know publicly. I was, I'm going to ask you what yours are. Mine are like, um, positive EQ. I highly believe in using emotional IQ, but in a positive way, because you can use a negative way, which means, uh, you are manipulative essentially. Right. But you can use positive EQ and EQ, there's a lot of things like empathy, self-regulation, all these things that I I, I teach um, in my classes. But like that is gonna be really intuitive. So I don't think I'm gonna gloss over that. But the middle one is well, the last one is three three buckets. The last one is called big picture thinking. It's about it's called systems thinking, where you can see data points and connect the dots and it allows you to see trends and plan and be strategic really well. That has more to do with my traditional business background. The middle layer is, um, I teach this in, in in schools and in class in my leadership trainings in my company, it's called confident vulnerability, where you have to be confident in who you are, but you have to know you're vulnerable in that people can fuck you if, oh, am I allowed to swear into your podcast? Yes, yes. you can. <laughs> they could fuck you over too. But if you act as if you're going to get fucked every single day, you will probably not get as much... Good things coming to you, so it has to be a calculated risk. So I think if you kind of figure out how you be confident, confident and vulnerable enough, then you start really getting people on your side. Because when you show vulnerability, you know there's a there's a sub bullet point in my 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 materials. It's called um, open hearts, open doors. So the moment the moment you open your heart people will most humans will naturally reciprocate they will Mm -hmm. actually when a boss naturally says i told my team when i let go of 400 people i said i'm so sorry and a couple of them in my one-on-ones i was crying and i and i was doing a google hangouts and i wanted to just like turn off my my video part of my google my laptop but i didn't because my training, I remember, had taught me, it was like, "You then you hide who you are. Because so they saw me kind of breaking down already. So like me turning it off would be like, why is he hiding it kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: all I said is, I'm really sorry. I'm not, this is obviously my least favorite part of anything. And I, I'm my sole job now is to bring you guys all back. Reverse the snap, whatever it takes. That's my sole job. I will not yeah. rest until all of you guys come back. And they then... Now I'm completely vulnerable. I'm completely naked. They could say, I watched the Boba guys founder. He's this, this successful founder and like, like, fuck him. He fired everybody and he's rich or not you know, which I'm not like all that stuff, but he didn't. They were like, you know, I know you're trying your best and you've always been this open. We believe in you. We'll see you. We'll see you on the other side, which is what so many of them said. And I, that's what made me cry even more. Mm. And it's been what a month and a half later. Now we're starting to bring them all back. And all of them, you know, a couple of them literally just said, uh, I had one call today with my L.A. team. Oops, uh, I'm not supposed to release that. But L.A. is, um, LA is a, we're trying to reopen L.A. very soon. Mm-hmm. And um, I was with a call today at 11 a.m. with them. And it was my first call in the morning. And one of them just said, we knew you always bring us back. So we're glad. So, like, just things like that. And these are, like, 22-year-old kids. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to cry again because yeah, this is what we <laughs> instilled in you. So that to me is I think the premise of how you're going to start then punching up because then you're going to have people – If in the white world, it would be like the people who are white in power. They're going to say like, well, we can't possibly hoard all the power. And I don't think white people are explicitly trying to hoard just for white people. I don't think they think of it that way. Yeah. So, They just don't like non whites, basically saying it. So it's like men. It's not like men want to hoard power. You know, men, dads who have daughters, I'm guessing, would want their daughter to have an equal life too. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is just like, well, what is it, what does that do for me? And I think that's where you have to be like, hey, don't you want to be as like known as maybe the guy or the white person that helped balance the force a little bit? Like, don't you, you know, like wouldn't that make you sleep better and live better and don't you know that's where the world's going so why even fight it it's just going to make it harder right and then when when you say it like that then that's when allyship gets really really easy mm-hmm. i almost never had to convince a single landlord um about like the hardship that we've been going through because mm-hmm. by the time i pick up the phone and call them they said andrew i saw you on the news and i know you by now you're going to do the best you can and, uh, and I said, I don't even know if boba, you're th- they don't even, a lot of them don't drink boba. They're like, one of them was like, I don't know if your boba thing is essential or not. Is it? And then, like, <laughs> I'm like, it's just like a coffee shop. And he like, yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, So are you open or not? And I'm like, Well, yeah, I'm thinking about it, but we're close for now because we have to pivot our model. But even that, like, showed them really trying to understand because what he sees is, man, He's really nice. He's disguised genuine. I've talked to this this one I'm talking about quite a few times over the years, Yeah. and he to this day he doesn't understand what we do, but he's like he understands business and he knows we're really busy. Mm-hmm. So he at least I'm sure he sees he's going to be successful, and in order for me to get my rent, I'm going to want him to stay alive, right? So I mean help him a little bit, and so that's the what's in it for me, and if we can do that as a community better. It will be so much smoother.
1: Yeah, and I think I love that how you laid that out. I, I feel like I, I, I love this professorial part. Of <laughs> Sorry, your, you, no, I love. Always, it, Andrew's
0: got to expect the TED Talk. Yeah,
1: it is. It's <laughs> great, but I, I listen to TED Talks all the time because I think that's uh, it's kind of uh, a humility of and and a hunger to learn, right? right. And I think right. that's uh, I, I want to stoke that fire because. I general think that people do want the best. They don't always know what the best way to go about that is. I don't Mm -hmm. always want to assume the worst. Sometimes I'm grossly disappointed because sometimes I really expect the best and I'm disappointed. But if anything, and I I don't even know, what did you, what did you title that as? Like, these are your core principles you said?
0: So man, I'm not even, my agent's going to get mad at me, but I, (laughs) I do this all the time. So she should, she should not be surprised. Um, so Kitty Cowles, if you're listening, she's my agent. Uh, I'm sorry. Basically, the idea is I firmly believe that we're in a new age of companies and leadership. And mm-hmm. there's a couple premises. I think leaders build leaders. And the leader's job is to make the team around them the most productive that they could be. It's, it's mm-hmm. about productivity and excellence. That's the sole job of a leader. It's not that it'd be fun. It's, it's not, it's a maximized potential of a specific team. You put a leader on a team, a good leader makes, gets X out of them and a bad leader gets not, really very little out of them. That's the, how you know if it's a good leader or a bad leader. I historically, I've managed a lot of people in my life. I've always generally been, you know, especially for Asians. Like I've see, I didn't see many Asian American leaders, especially in marketing. When I did it, I was always one of the top. So I was very grateful that I had great bosses and mentors to make me a Strong leader. So if it comes off that I'm very confident about it, I'm like, yeah, because I have 20 years of track record of of leadings ever since I was in high school. That almost everyone's like, wow, you know, best you know, best class 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 of 2000. They were the best, you know, in college. You know, Andrew ran the Daily Cal. I was the, I was the school paper uh, when I was. You ran the Daily Cal. I was yeah. I was the business side. Yeah. Nice. I, I worked with the editor in chief, and the, all the editor in chiefs are now all these famous writers. Uh, Ron Gong Lin, Eric uh, Shuey, um, Kimai Cutler from TechCrunch. Um, so all my r- editorial peers are killing it. And I was the – essentially like the business, um, business operation side of the media company. So and then – so when you put it all together, that's the premise. So if we think the future is going to look like that type of leadership, then I say there's something called the modern American team. And you can ask anybody in my leadership team. There's about 50 of them floating out there. They will tell you, Andrew teaches a course. It's a five-day course. And I, and I it's the only course that I teach in Boba Guys University, which is my company's uh, training, training team. Mm-hmm. I train one section on my first class is, and I've taught Stanford kids on this, and I teach this in other places. And so the, this is the premise of my book, is that, there's the core of what you just need. The basic foundation that you need is ownership, self-awareness, you know, like, um, that kind of stuff. But the core of management theory is going to be positive EQ, confident vulnerability, and big picture mindset. And if you will have all three and under those, there's these sub chapters, um, that I've been doing this for five years. Um, this is the manual that I'll never will share to anybody. Um, <laughs> although my employees have it, so I guess you can you can steal them. But even the employees know to never go to another Boba shop or um, food and beverage. I rarely lose management to another competitor. Actually, I've never. So, mm. um, we're going to do that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I try. I'm. I i do not know. It's going to happen. Now that people <clears> listen <throat> to this, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> some no. be like, <laughs> now we planted some seeds. Oh, take it back. <laughs>
0: But it's been out there. I'm surprised people haven't. But um, they know. And then, uh, so anyway, long story short, the that is the premise of what I think the theory is. And the middle one that I just mentioned, confident vulnerability, is why so many companies fail. And I do think why even marginalized groups fail is Mm -hmm. because we uh, we don't we're we're either so confident, we flex so much and we're knocking and we're trying to punch up to the, get to the glass ceiling or through the ceiling and bamboo ceiling that the people on the top are like, hold, geez, you're aggressive. Like I'm not going to give it to you. Like, and they're, they're going to fight back. Mm-hmm. So that's just pure confidence. You know, and pure vulnerability. Well, you're just passive. They're just, they're just going to run all over you. And that's a little bit of the community as well. Mm-hmm. But if you're confident and vulnerable, You can make that relatable because people who have power, like, we'll see, you know, okay, I I know where you're coming from. All right, I'm going to co-sign you because what's in it for them is I want to be responsible for creating the next, if it's men to women, the next Elizabeth Warren, the next Hillary, the next Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. And for a white person, we're going to be like, well, yeah, there's a lot of famous CEOs. The next Bob Iger is like, well, I want the next – Asian Bob Iger. Well, because you know Disney is going to be half owned by Asia anyways. Well, <laughs> you might as well get an Asian CEO instead of a white CEO, right? Like, so it might be in our best interest to co-sign and get a, a pipeline going. So when you think of it that way in an ecosystem, you really then start thinking about like how it works. Now you still need people to be loud because I think the loud people will. Be will remind the people in power that there's always a bigger threat. That's that Malcolm X, you know. But I think you can't have too many of them. So you need to find balance. And then you need a great leader to contain both sides. You need to be like, all right, the MLKs, you guys are gonna play in 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 the house, you guys are gonna be nice and more nice, you're gonna be more civil, and you're gonna basically work within the system. And Malcolm X, you continue to do that. You fight your ass off because you need to remind people what we're fighting for. Mm-hmm. And you there's probably a, a ratio that you might want, you know. I don't know. I, I can't imagine it be 50 50. I think it's like four to one, maybe.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's fifty-fifty. I w- I would personally I would advise against 50
0: 50. Well, 50 50 is what's causing the issue, right? 50 exactly. 50 is why people are not giving up their power in really. Exactly.
1: It's such yeah. a it's such an extreme push pull. With the 50-50 thing.
0: Yeah. So. But I,
1: I I, think, and I love that you're saying, because the EQ lends itself because if it's coming from an authentic place, that it's it's inherently strategic because you're reading the room, you're reading the situation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, it's not short on, like, being cerebral or, or strategic. It's just doing it through a different means. And so when you talk about the punching up thing and you're saying, like, overly confident, to me, my perspective is a little different. Like, I see the whole overly confident thing. For me, in a lot of scenarios, a lot of companies or organizations or stories I've heard, I call a lot of bullshit on, uh, these are like, I'm just saying in terms of, uh, data points of like who's been in power, it's been a lot of men, right? Historically speaking up till now. Um, but it's a lot of toxic, insecure men. So when I see people who are really, really power hungry or who need that level of validation, this gets into my spiritual side. It's like, that's not confidence. That's like complete insecurity. The people who, who need or, feel this like that their means to achieve what they want is just to flex and flex and flex. I'm like, that's just you not you're ego driven and you're like you're really not confident in yourself. And if you don't get that uh trophy or that big salary or the big title or all the fanfare that you didn't achieve something, like that's not confidence. That's insecurity. And I think that translates to like dating, to family, to everything. Um, which is why I love that you call out that it's that Confident vulnerability is different; that it it exists and it manifests it manifests itself in a different way than like these extreme these extreme behaviors, right? Which is like uh-huh. I need to have this, and yeah. I think if I could expand on that with me, I have kind of framed it in terms of being very Brene Brown influenced.
0: Oh, in I was going to say her. that was that was that's a hundred. I'm stealing from Brene Brown. That's Real, real he says real courage is vulnerable, right? So, there you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And that's and I I think of the words courage and I think of um I just bravery and courage. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it's gonna be something that scares you. Whatever it scares you is gonna be a little bit different. Whether yeah. it's to be very vulnerable and to be emotional. And the thing is that there are people out there, I think, right now, because they see the power of vulnerability who are gonna try to front and uh Fake that they're gonna fake the funk and like try crying or try being like oh, extra yeah, touchy feely yeah, sure. because they're trying to be vulnerable because that's again manipulation that's not authentic vulnerability that's like I'm just trying to play this game that everybody wants a vulnerable sensitive person. To me, that's like people. We are better lie detectors and better BS detectors than that. So yeah, yeah. I think it's courage. I think it's kind of like walking up to that fear and knowing like okay, this might this might not go the way that I want, but I feel that it is important. It's aligned with my values, my principles, what I think is the right thing to do, and I'm going to go do it anyway. I think that is what we'll read really well. And um the empathy part, I just think empathy is so important because it's such a different approach than the top-down thing. I mean, that's really what has been feeding this cycle of toxicity in general, whether you want to call that toxic masculinity or just toxicity in general. That's what I see, honestly, with a lot of the Asian community and Asian culture. It's very hierarch- hierarchical. And it's a very, like, you listen to your elders and you don't question it. You don't, uh that it's kind of like a one-way communication, right? And I think having empathy is a different lens to look at I need to think about the worker. I need to think about the, their, the, the long term benefits versus my short term gain, which is I'm not going to commandeer them and strong arm them and force them or yell at them or abuse them either verbally or financially or whatever, right? Do whatever means I have to get what I want. I think a good leader knows how to employ authentic empathy to really think about. And personally, I think that was my challenge with collaboration because my, I was the only full-time employee of collaboration. Like the things that I've had to work within the structure of my work has been working with 99.9% volunteers. I don't Mm -hmm. have the same mechanisms to like threaten taking away someone's job because they can walk away. I don't have anything except the fact that they volunteered and said they wanted to be part of this show or this production or this conference and I'm going to have to like keep them to that. Well, what motivates them to do that? They need to feel like they matter, period. And again, people are really good BS detectors. If you would like are pretending to care and you don't really care, they'll catch on eventually. Oh, for sure. And whether that's communicated through the salary that they get or the benefits or like how you're going to handle things in a crisis and their life and their livelihoods at stake. Um, that's why I think I hope the collective thing right now is that we're becoming more empowered to vocalize the bullshit that we're experiencing. You know what I mean? Like to bring it full circle to where we are currently at in this like pandemic. I think there are a lot of really bad leaders out there. There are a lot of good ones that are, are getting more shine, like the Cuomo's and, uh, like the local, you know, the local leaders who are They're having local. to mm-hmm. step up. It's so amazing to me, you know? And it's good to be able to identify that. I love that you're giving frameworks and, and words to the, to the terminology that we can then use to like further measure people. Like, are they, are they for real or are they, are they all a front,
0: right? Yeah. I love that you just said frameworks because people, I mean, this is only just to help because I think um, we were talking about leadership and people are still listening after an hour and 15. Well, (laughs) they're only going to stick around because we're really going to talk about hardcore leadership is that the reason why frameworks and leadership helps and why TED talks generally do help is that. It's not about the person giving the TED talk to the audience. It's usually the audience member taking it home. Mm -hmm. And so a framework you, I could tell a handful of good stories and the person listening right now will understand the gist of what I'm trying to give, get to them. But if I give them a framework with some of the stories, then they can actually use the framework and then lead their organization and people in leadership. Only people in leadership really understand that's why they give frameworks. Everybody else thinks, why are they going going on TED Talks all the time? It's not about TED Talks. It's about the idea or why they sound so intellectual. It's not about intellectual. It's about making it so it scales. So when I broke down positive EQ, confident vulnerability, and big picture mindset, when I just say those three or four times, it's easy to take those notes because I said it three or four times on the podcast. And then when they go, they're going to be like, I listened to Andrew and Minji on Minji's podcast. And, you know, they talk for an hour, but this part really stuck. And that is, if that's what they take away, then that, at least they're really starting to then expand their knowledge. And then they heard us name drop uh, Brene Brown. Then they'll be like, oh yeah, Brene Brown, Call the Courage, great book, Dare to Lead, great book. You know, I think that's where it starts really growing. And I do mm-hmm. think if there's one thing, it's stereotypically Asian Americans, we're very knowledgeable, but when it comes to social theory, we suck ass. We just <laughs> do. The reason I know this is because I go to, I've been to Brene Brown conferences. I've been in a fortune magazine, uh, uh, fast company. I've been to those conferences. Number one, very few Asian Americans. And number two, when Brene Brown speaks, no Asian Americans are in the room. Mm. There's no, it's me and definitely no Asian American dudes. And then when I look at, you know, people who quote Brene Brown and I talk about Brene Brown, as you do you all the time, I never see Asian American leaders really gravitating to that, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so then we wonder why we don't have the vocabulary and the frameworks to then lead well. And we just always are so tactical and, and we don't, we're not as effective as we could be. It's, right. it's, it's, it's intellectual stubbornness. That's what it is. And it's because we think we're so smart because our culture generally, because of the model minority myth, a lot of people who, if you're listening to a podcast, you probably are more intellectual than an average person. You're listening to a podcast for a hundred, uh, for a minute, an hour, 20, but you, you probably aren't really listening to podcasts that are about like Brene Brown uh, Kim Scott, who wrote uh, Radical Candor. Um, Adam Grant, who wrote Originals and Give and Take. Dale Carnegie, who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. Love. I mean, yeah, Atomic Habits, which is another great one. Range by David Epstein, which is one of my favorite new books. So like they aren't reading that. That I know because I, when I talk to them, I could tell just by the way they respond, they've never read or never even heard of it. And then I'm like, well, then why are you coming to me acting as if you can lead? You know, like just, just like, dude, just listen. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't go to my engineering friend and be like, hmm, here's how I should code. I don't go to like, <laughs> I don't go to like my crafting friend and I don't go to Dookie, my chef and be like, let me teach you how to cook, you know? But when people come to me and, hey, Andrew, I know you're about leadership and strategy. And then right away, they almost always go into like, well, this, this, and this, that. And I'm like, you didn't name a single framework. You didn't name a single theory. It's all anecdotal. Your, your frameworks are lousy if there is one. And you don't genuinely seem intellectually curious. So you wonder why you can't lead a movement. You wonder why you're angry all the time. You wonder why you're not getting the best out of your team. I'm like, dude, just, just stop it. And people say I'm very tough love. In my first five minutes with a lot of people, that's usually what it is. Mm-hmm. And my mentors did the same thing to me in the early days. When I became a CEO, I didn't know what to do. And I was av- having one of them, the public knows, is uh, Wen Zhao from Philip Lim. You know, Wen gives me so many pep talks. When I was letting go of people, when she gave me a pep talk, I called her before I was letting go of everyone. And Wen, who you know runs a very famous fashion brand, she was telling me, it's going to be very emotional. So here's what you should think about. You know? And she walked me through. It was almost like therapy um, before before I went in and let go of everyone. Mm. So, I think, yeah, a lot more uh, of that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate <laughs> it, it. My my tendency, because I get really passionate about certain things,
0: yeah.
1: is to uh, I can get on a high horse. But it's coming. I also want to put a disclaimer. I, I'm working on tempering that that uh <laughs> indignation because it is ultimately because yeah, I, I, w- I I would love Everyone, for there yeah. to be progress and change. But like for real though, I love that you can be honest about that because you it, it's, it goes against like my uh, again good training to like respect all my elders. But there's a lot of elders that I fundamentally disagree with, and I at least within our community, I haven't felt. There's certain ones that I thank so much because I feel like they were the outliers. They were the exceptional mm-hmm. ones who really oh. did see potential and nurtured that versus like doing the whole hierarchical condescending. Oh, you're young and you don't know what you're talking about. There was that rebellious feeling that I always had as like a young female mm-hmm. um, leader being like, no, you don't know. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> why don't you try listening to the people who are trying to talk to you? And I think that creating that two way street and also having an open mind to like really be taught something and learn something new is really, really Important, And that's that's a very big we're talking about other uh, terminology or vocabulary. It's a different paradigm that we're going to live in, especially as Asian Americans to like to question authority in a good way. I think in a, in a, in a very constructive way, I think it's good to question authority uh-huh. um, yes. and, and to figure out in a strategic and constructive manner using, using your smarts and not just like your brain smarts, but your heart smart, your soul, your heart smarts and your EQ to like strategically execute on those things, on those changes that you want to see happen. I mean, that really is the grand, my hope for the future. Um, and I do, I, we know so there are so many smart people, like at the end of the day, I get really like pissy about like, oh my God, everyone's so stupid. (laughs) Like I can get, I can get definitely down that rabbit hole. Like why are, why is everyone so stubborn and so they don't listen? But realistically, there's so many smart people out there. And I, I, Mm -hmm. I hope, um, there can be a collective like unleashing of these minds. If there's some way to inspire people to look past the way that it has been and look towards like what could be and how to go about that, reading the books that you just mentioned or listening to a Ted talk or a podcast or something that can take them one degree or half a degree forward. That's, that's the power of like mi- mm-hmm. micro changes over yeah, an extended amount yeah. of time. I think is incredibly powerful. And I love that you are really out there being a voice, um, and you, you, you empower me to be a voice because, man, I, I know that talking about leadership is not a particularly sexy topic. You know nope. what I mean? Like my dating podcasts do really, really well. Like people want to talk about love and sex, but I want to talk about leadership. <laughs> and so I'm gonna, I, I kind of, this is me be like, you know, owning my space and be like, Hey guys, if you want to like come be in my virtual living room, this is what I want to talk about. I hope you'll listen because I know some really smart people and they have like They have a lot of good things to say. So I just, I just love that you know what your purpose is and what role you can play in the grand scheme of things and that you are relentless about that, Andrew. It's really that in and of itself is very empowering. And I think you'll, you'll, you will, you'll reach willing ears and you'll, you'll help open minds. You know what I mean? I think that's just, I appreciate that very much about you. Well,
0: thank, well, I hope, you know, not to, you know, again to deflect, which is very Asian. But I just think I I named all the books that I read. So if anything, you know, a lot of I, I could I probably don't mind ending it on on my part on this part mm-hmm. is that I do think people confuse like TED Talks and stuff for high horse and that kind of stuff. And I do see that. I do. I'm a rebel. I have a problem with authority myself. I do think though that when people are not speaking from anecdotal evidence. Or experience like per, per se. And they're just really just saying, this is the book. This is the, you know, these are frameworks that are, have been used by thousands of people. I don't even really think it's a high horse. And if somebody says that is high horse, then it's reflective of the current zeitgeist. And everybody knows the current zeitgeist is actually the opposite. The current zeitgeist and the whole populism movement is that we don't trust authority. Mm-hmm. We think we're smarter than an average doctor or you know doctor fauci or you know trump thinks he's smarter than that that's reflective mm-hmm. of a larger zeitgeist in that we don't trust bosses anymore because we've been fucked over by ceos we don't trust doctors because they've killed people and have malpractice issues we don't trust coaches because they abuse their their uh, athletes we don't that's the reason why and because of that lack, lack of trust we then just threw the baby out with the bathwater yeah so then we say everybody now is all abusive and the, the people in the past who used to care about sage advice, which is from the classics and from the Greek to Asian culture, to they did have some like, all right, this guy is roughly a good person. So there is probably some wisdom there. Like we, we don't throw it all at the bathwater. So that's what I would say. Like for me, I don't, don't listen to any of what Minji says or what I say because, oh, it's anecdotal. It's because it's based off of books that is a national New York Times bestseller. It's off of frameworks that have led millions of companies. So if, if you see it from that way, there's no high horse. It's just I'm a megaphone for those books. Mm-hmm. And as are you. We're both in this case ambassadors for Brene Brown. We didn't say anything that was unique to us. It was just Brene Brown talk.
1: Yeah. And it's also, and, and and to give some credit to like, well, some substance, substance to like the, the, the author and the person who put that out there. It's also because we integrated, I I personally, because she challenged me and gave me something really inspirational and, and concrete to do and think Mm -hmm. about, I say it gives substance to what we're, we're saying because. I I've been working on integrating that into my life and I have been seeing results in that. So I mm. think there, there is definitely That's value true. to, to mm. the anecdotes. Like if you're seeing it in real time and you're experienced people that are not quitting or, you know, in the middle of an economic downturn that are, that are not going to just jump ship and, and you know what I mean? Feel like, screw you, that they are exercise they're, they're displaying loyalty and that they, that your customers are loyal to you. There is, there's evidence too, of right of like these frameworks and these things mm-hmm. uh living in the real world world that are what we need to stay sustainable. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I just, I love the resource sharing. I love this deep talk. I love that we talked about uh, leadership for an hour and a half. This is like such a great way to afternoon. (laughs) And, and Andrew, um, I'm going to, I'm really excited that your book is doing well. Uh, I haven't bought it yet. I'm going to buy it. You oh, let wait, me I, uh, you let me test the re- recipe. So that was like the best part. Oh, that's
0: right. You were you were part of the group. I think you got a credit in the back of it. Yeah. Yeah, you were part of Stop like it. 10 or 12 friends who who I kind of sent the internet doesn't have context. So I sent a panicked email because we were we didn't re- we forgot to test all, a lot of our recipes. We were doing it in a vacuum. And some of them came straight out of the company. So I'm like, "Well, they have to work possibly because well, they just we've been using them but we had our friend our friends including minji um i think there's 12 of you guys who i broke out the 78 recipes among 12 people and you guys did them all so
1: i still use them it has been helping me get through this pandemic because i make myself milk tea according oh. to your <laughs>
0: recipes i'm actually love opening right you are recipe you're the first name it says thank you to all recipe testers <gasps> minji chang you are the first name actually oh my god I don't even okay. know. Uh, this is comp- not even alphabetical. So I, have, you must have done something where you were top of mind. <laughs>
1: I, I was. I was assigned the first chunk of uh, recipes. That might be why. Oh. It might just be the order because I was so stoked that I got the um, the classics. You know, I mean? you you assigned the house syrup, the the Hong Kong milk tea, uh. <laughs> like all your standard uh, staples. I got assigned, and I was like, hell yeah! <laughs> now I'm gonna know how to make this. <laughs>
0: That's so fun. Well, thank you. So everybody, thank, uh, when you write your Amazon review or whatever, thank also Minji. Oh my gosh.
1: No, it was my pleasure. Trust me. Now I have, I have a jar of your house syrup sitting in my refrigerator. so uh, yeah, I can use that anything. Yeah, cool. it's great. But I'm excited for your second book. Um, I'm excited for you guys to get back up and running and, Honestly, it's it's uh, hopefully sharing these stories gives a lot of hope and guidance to everybody out there, because I know, like you said, there's millions upon millions of small business owners. Everybody is I it can sound cheesy and cliche, but everyone to me is a leader. You are a leader in your own life, literally yep. how you go about making your choices and who you interact with, who you give your money to, who, you know, you take advice from. All yep. of that is relevant, whether you have like employees under your payroll or not. Um, these high concept things to me are not very high concept. They're, I think they're p- very fundamental. So I just appreciate you distilling all the things that you've been educated and been practicing and putting in years and like how much time and energy and love into like practicing on the daily to like sit down and talk to me and share on a platform so that anybody who listens can hear it is amazing. So thank you
0: very, well, thank very much. Thank you. My my favorite last quote is my one of my professors says, Leadership is the art of common sense.
1: Oh, so. I like that. Should that be the title of this episode?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't I, I don't know why I waited so long to drop that. But yeah, hundred percent agree with what you said. Yeah. So I mean it's just all what you said is just it is just common sense. Like people won't follow you if it doesn't make sense for them. Like just yeah. they, they won't at all. You know,
1: Things that make sorry. sense usually they they work. So yeah. it, that, that's an idea to kick around. Um but yeah, Andrew, where can people find more about you? Follow you, all oh. the stuff.
0: Oh, you can follow uh, boba guys at, at boba guys, b-o-b-a-g-u-y-s or my handle on Instagram or Boba Guys is everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, and then my personal one is at Chowmillion C H A U M E L E O N, like Chameleon, but my last name Chow. For there, you can follow up and listen to more TED Talks (laughs) that (laughs) I, they're not as heavy. I, more, more and more of my followers are these like small business owners and leaders. So I I am, I don't know, for better or worse, I'm like, I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of like, like all those self-help, um, Instagrams. So I'm trying to, I'm fighting that. So I'm putting a lot of TikToks on there too.
1: Oh, very nice. It's good to have balance. We got to, you know, stay true to our, our true selves that need some TikTok entertainment every once in a while. But, uh, Thank you again so much, Andrew, for taking the time to speak with me and for everybody listening out there. Uh, If this can be helpful to anybody, any small business owners, any person who's just trying to figure out that next step in life, please do go ahead and share it. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please you know leave a five-star review, subscribe. And thank you to everybody who's been sending encouraging DMs, emails. I appreciate it so much. It has been honestly an honor and a therapy for me to have these conversations and share them with you all, especially in this time. It's going to be okay. But in the meantime, we're going to be doing a lot of work to move forward and progress. So thank you to uh, Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. And thank you to Aquafina for use of her song Yellow Ranger for the intro. Thank you to Uzohan for use of his song Uzu Trap for the outro. I'm a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, which is a collective of Asian American podcasters and storytellers. Please go check out some of these other shows. We have Books and Boba. We have a brand new K-drama a podcast revival that is hosted by some of the most hilarious people on the planet. So go check other podcasts out. Stay entertained. Stay positive. And yeah, I will talk to you all soon. Thank you again, Andrew.
0: Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Minji.
1: Thanks. Bye.
0: All right. Don't, don't you know. Yeah. Came in 88 with a dream, oh, so bright-eyed. bright-eyed.
1: They knew right away, sick of swim. there's no lifelines. Cutting their teeth on the move, nobody's filling these shoes. Eight-by-head. Balling Eight-by-head. on a budget at the Golden Archer, super size number two,
0: cash. Way the world ain't budging, hey. gotta make a power move. Hey. Deep in the darkest dungeons, Ooh. I'm thinking of my own hey. <laughs> Kathy, Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas?
1: Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-Cup coffee pods because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, no. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality.
0: N- no, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It-, it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas.
1: Yeah, I was just guessing.
0: That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast?
1: Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers.
0: Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But- Will and Phil are still recovering from that season.
1: I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing?
0: Yeah, pretty much. So are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean Drama Podcast?
1: So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one?
0: Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel Buns?